the preacher and the teacher podcast. The motto is we're trying to reach you. Hosea 4 and 6 says, for my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Today's episode, what does it mean to be black? How do you define blackness? I'm going to let Brother Teacher go ahead and open us up on this one. So, very interesting concept. What defines blackness? No, is it a, no, is it just a color? Is it a social construct? You know, like I say, no, what do you classify it? Is it just, is it relegated to just being African? Is it African-Americans? And I think that the interesting uh, dichotomy here is that (laughs) although that I think that we put so much emphasis on all of these cultural differences because granted it's not one monolithic thing right right you know but we spend so much time pointing out the cultural differences so all of a sudden you create this proverbial wall and there's a lot of um, you know and it creates a lot of a lot of division yeah well brother well brother teacher well i guess when you're saying it defining blackness should we have a more Afrocentric approach as being more Pan-African because as an African-American, a lot of times we think and we, we think and we believe that blackness starts with us being with our experience in this diaspora of 400 years of this wilderness of North America. But mm-hmm. as we look, brother, and as I've, as I've known you for so many years, you're a black man, but different culturally. Absolutely. But black in itself being Honduran slash American. Can you just break down you know the dynamics of 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 the Ganifana culture within within your within Honduras. Can you just break that down, give some more clarity? Because I don't think a lot of times, you know, a lot of our people don't understand the different cultural dynamics that that take place. So as being a black man, but you speak but you speak Spanish, but brother, you're darker than me. <laughs> you look you look more you look more like Shaka Zulu than. <laughs> Fernandez Cortez. <laughs> just, just break that down for the people, brother. <laughs> I think y'all yeah, probably look more like Mansa Musa than I do Francisco Pizarro. Yeah, but it's, like, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know, but brother preacher, I'm like, um, I'm glad that's you know, an excellent point that you're bringing up because oftentimes, at least within our community, and even just through my own personal my own personal experience that uh my parents are from the country of Honduras for those that don't know Honduras is a country in Central America right and like I said and my no say no my people although being from Honduras we come from a culture that is called the Garifuna right now the noun like I said, no, or the now for, in terms for the people, it's called uh, Garinagu. Right. There's the people, and Garifuna is the overall culture. And if it sounds foreign to you, it's because during the slave trade, the, no, so the black Caribs, that no, which is another name for the Garifuna, that were brought over from Western Africa. You know, I think in particularly um, 
like I said, it was like I said, it was um a lot of the tribes in you know say, you know in Western Africa, uh, you know the Wolof, uh, the Bantu, um, the Ashanti, the the, the Ashanti, you know, you know etc. And when they were brought over, roughly in the 1600s, you know, because you know, in the late 1600s, uh, we were brought over by the English, right? Very much like, you know, see, you know just like my know, ancestors, right? We're brought over by the English, right? Right, brother Peter, and they you know they were brought over, and pretty pretty much with the same intent, expecting that. They were going to do the work that the indigenous population were not able to do on the island of St. Vincent because, you know, because of the genocide that was being implored there. Right. You know, by you know, by the English. And it gets a little more complicated because eventually the French come, the French come over and, they, you know, they take part in the colonialism also. Right. But... I, I, the irony is that the French had a good relationship with the Garifuna, although I mean they was less repressive than the English were. Right. You know, I mean, but it's this whole complicated history. The, you know, the British would end up getting it back from the French. <laughs> wow. In in the in in, in the seventeen nineties, and as a, and as a lesson. You know, to the Garifuna who were throughout the whole time between the English and the French having. Their issues, the Garifuna was fighting for their own sovereignty. Right, right. The right. Garifuna was able to and actually defeated and actually defeated the British. Um, one of our no, one of the main chieftains of the Garinuga culture, um, his name is uh, Joseph uh, Chatouillet. Okay. In, in case you know anybody wants to research him, um, C H A T Y O V E R, you know Joseph Chatouillet. Um, actually took the time to defeat the British in the, the first time in like the 1760s, 1770s, you know, it, it gets kind of a little, little hazy, you know, but actually defeated. And when the British ended up coming back later on, they were end up killing Chatouillet, you know, in the 1780s, he ended up, you know, getting killed. And eventually, um, the Garifuna was, um, was just overmatched and overwhelmed by the British. But as, a means of punishment. Uh, the the you no know, the British would end up putting the Garifuna in sailboats and ship them away, hoping that like listen, as the, I know we bought them here as property, but that they're more trouble than they're worth. So the best way to do it is to try to implore this genocide and hopefully the people get shipwrecked. On top wow. of wow, yes, wow, wow, that's interesting. You know, um, at the expense of at the expense of being long winded, uh, um, a storm take uh, no, a storm happens to take place, and actually was able to get the ships out of the fifty five hundred uh, Garifunas that were on the boat. Only twenty two thousand to twenty five hundred survived, and they ended up on an island off the coast of mainland Honduras called Roatan. Mm. Wow. Wow, and then from there, like they had to, like I said, until you know, and they had to live on the coast, and they just assimilated to the dominant society, and till this day, it's no, it's still nothing's really changed in 2020. Um, there, you no, know, many got many got many Garinagos still live on the coast, and 
are still part of the dominant society. But in Honduras, like, you know, I mean, the Garinagu, like, you know, although the dominant language is Spanish, being right. that they reside in a Spanish-speaking nation, um, the dominant, no, I mean, the dominant, you no, know, we still stick to our original culture. Right, because it's, it's been sometimes I went to some of your family functions and things like that in the past, your cultural celebrations, your festive times. And I've seen like, you know, the African garb, the African dress, the heavy relation to the drum. So it's still African in that root as being a Garnifana. Absolutely. You know, it's, you know, it's the heavy dominance of, of paying homage to, you know, to the ancestors and the, uh, the, the festive times of being, uh, you know, paying homage to the ancestral in the art, you know, the tribe as being a Garnifano because it's, it's interesting because that, you know, the British, you know, were the original colonizer and slaver. So that means you spoke English. Absolutely. Yes. You spoke English because St. Vincent is a province of, of, of the British colony and the, and the West Indies. The British West Indies. The yes. British West Indies, right. And from the British West Indies, you know, how, you know, we could go on to the Dutch East Indian Company, the, the, the sugar, the sugar cane factories mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's it's quite interesting, this dichotomy that people don't understand that that Hondurans, they look at them and say, well, who are these people? Why do they or are they Hispanic or Latin or, you know, brother, you know, brother teach. I just want you to break that down as well. The components of this of being Latin or Hispanic or whatever you ascribe to be or or just break it down for us. So I think that this is where things get interesting because with that with I don't want I don't want it to get misconstrued that the Garifuna went from St. Vincent into Honduras and that was just pretty much the end of that. Like no um the Garifuna community is pretty spread out throughout um Central America and particularly Guatemala, Belize, uh, Honduras, Nicaragua, and we're in all of these places, and you know we have staunch communities. But here's the interesting thing: that in Belize they speak English. They speak English, right? In Belize, you know, Belize was formerly known as British Honduras. They didn't become Belize till the late 1970s, if I believe. Right. So, yeah, like you have a group of people that actually speak the Garifuna language, but you have a, a group of people that speak English, as in as in Saint Vincent, where they still speak English. Right. So, what's what's interesting is, and just again, Matt, to my experience in life, and um, at home, when I, at home growing up, um, Spanish was uh, the language spoken in the household, of course, among my mother and my father. Right. And and, and you know, and um, Garifuna was second, right? And 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 English was dead last, right? Um, like a lot, you no, know, in particular, like I didn't really become proficient in English till I got into school, right? You no, know, my siblings included, and but brother T, brother T, just sorry to interrupt you, but you were born, you were born in America, yes, right? You and your and your brother, who's who's older than you by four years, you two were born in America, so assimilating to English wasn't that really that difficult. No, right, right. Um, like I said, there's no. Originally, my nuclear family, we were a family of. Um, originally, there was a family of seven. I had a younger sibling that passed away, you know, as an as an infant. Wow. But. You know, my my elder siblings are twins. I have a sister and a brother. They were born in Honduras and didn't come till the United. They didn't come to the United States till they were preteens. Right. So they came. No, they came here from Honduras. 
only known Spanish in Garifuna. Right. And having to having to come here as preteens and learn a whole and, and to assimilate to a whole other culture to learn a whole other language, unlike my brother and I. So for a long time there was a bit of a disconnect. Of course, right. Naturally, and it's almost like having to get to know people. Right. And in the household, we never really paid much mind and stuff like that to um to the social construct of race. Or whatever. And of course, you don't think about it because, well, everybody looks like you. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> you right. know, and it wasn't until I got to school. <laughs> and in particularly when um, from kindergarten to about the second grade, I was an ESL. Right. Wow. Yes. I, 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 wow. No, I was an ESL kid. Right. And having to. And then having no, because having to you know, to try to learn how to master the English language, and being in a classroom full of Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, you know, when like I said, some kids from El Salvador, and I'm going to explain the difference between um, Latino and Hispanic in a minute, right. because oftentimes we always use these terms interchangeably when there's really stark difference between one and two. Right. But it was the first time that you start to really peep on us that. Oftentimes, I was the darkest kid in my class. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was the darkest kid in my class. Right. And to be you no, know, to you no, know, to be called a, a, a you no, know, you, you look like one of the brothers in mainstream class. <laughs> 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 you know. <laughs> and to you no, know, to be called um these you no know, these terms um I, I'll translate in a minute to be called a, a trigueño or. To be called the Prieto or to be called the Moreno. Or, oh, I know Moreno very well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know that term very well. Okay. And and, and, and so um, the brothers and sisters that are listening that are not familiar with what these terms mean in, in Spanish. Or Mayate. Or, or Mayate. Oh, but they're technically all in, to a degree slang terms. Right. Because um, Mayate is primarily m- Mexican slang. Right. But to call somebody Prieto, it would probably be more Cuban Dominican. Right. But technically, they're all they're all um, derogatory term derogatory terms for black people. Right. 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 So if you have anybody calling you a Prieto or Trigueño or you know a Mayate or, or just a flat out Moreno, it often means and stuff like that. That you know they're making fun of you or making fun of your complexion, making fun of your feet, making fun of your heel. Right, right, right. <clears throat> and they never, no, so, no, oftentimes, you know, like they never among, at least among the Latin contingency or, you no, know, they never, they never looked at my siblings and I as one of them, although we spoke the same language. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's the, very interesting. Um, The fact that many Latinos uh, grew up Catholic. Catholic, right. Mm-hmm. You know? Roman like, Catholic. Roman Catholic. Right. And like I said, no, see, no, my, like I said, my siblings and I, we grew up Roman Catholic. You know, we were baptized as Roman Catholics. Right. Um, we, um, like I said, we got our first communion as Roman Catholics. We had our confirmation as Roman Catholics. Right. Okay. And, not not knowing because no fault of my parents, you know, being you know being immigrants, you know, like I said, and not like I said, and not being veg- not not being educated themselves, there was there was only so much that they can actually teach us. Right. 
there was only so much that they can teach us. Like they never really told us about the importance of having black pride or whatever. If anything, they taught the opposite that you know what that we need to actually assimilate to that dominant culture and particularly to be more in good standing with my Puerto Rican and Dominicans, you know, said so that supposedly share the same culture. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Assimilation just to survive and you know to kind of thrive in this American society but still not a part of the dominant culture, but just being a part of the dominant culture far as is the, his, uh, the Spanish language is concerned. Right. And, and you know, what's something, you know, what's interesting, brother, you know, brother teacher, that even, you know, the differences with the so-called, you know, Hispanic culture, you know, even the language is spoken differently. His, you know, with Spanish, there's a difference between Spain, Spanish and Puerto Rican, Spanish. Dominican Spanish, Mexican Spanish, Honduran Spanish. There's a difference because if you really look at it, the groups I just mentioned, they all speak like an African grammar structure. Absolutely. It's an it's a African grammar structure, the way they speak it, because like in Spain, Spanish, that's because that's where the language comes from. It's it's from Spain. You know, it's a it's a European language. Absolutely. Just like I speak English. It's a European language. And, you know, and, you know, well, Spanish and and French, you know, those, I guess those romance languages, yes. you know, and my my time and knowing you and getting to know you over 20 years, you know, it's always been that battle. Well, is he black or is he not black? But then you have black people like Haitians who speak French. You don't call them Frenchmen. <laughs> They're black. <laughs> you wouldn't call somebody from Curacao a Dutchman. Right. <laughs> or, or, or or Martinique or Guadeloupe Frenchmen, right? They're, you know they you know they're black people. So of course through slavery and and colonialism and being spread out in this diaspora, you know we speak you know we speak different languages. And like you said, it was just forced. Those languages were forced upon us because and also we had to make a way to survive. And we also made codes within those languages on how to survive. You know, so you know, bro, but brother, you know, teacher, I just want you to break down that Hispanic and Latino di- dynamic because that's a very interesting dynamic. I think people don't understand the difference between Hispanic and, and Latino. Oftentimes, brother preacher, oftentimes Hispanic and Latino are used interchangeably. Matter of fact, often, like I said, because it is it you know the definitions can be very vague and very ambiguous and because you hear it so much over time it's kind of become monolithic right when to a degree depending on who you're speaking to it can be very very divisive yeah like identity politics huh absolutely with with that being said to be hispanic if um if you look at the prefix, you know, his, you know, and then you got Hispanic. Right. It's somebody it's somebody whose roots um original originally derived from Spain. Spain, right. You know, like I said, like listen, the no Iberian Peninsula? The Iberian Peninsula. Okay. So um so <clears throat> it's somebody that would be from Saragossa or somebody that would be from Valencia or Corona, Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Barcelona, or like I said, or any no uh, Betis or anywhere else. You know, that's in that in, that is um in that part of the peninsula, right? And e- and even with Spanish, it's one of those, and particularly as 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 you alluded to, my brother, um, even um even among the 
the Spanish Peninsula, oh, let's say, or the country of Spain, there's different dialects spoken in the country of Spain. Right. In Barcelona, they speak Catalan. Catalan is totally different from Castilian Spanish, which is spoken throughout most of the Western Hemisphere. Right. You know, they don't speak Castilian Spanish in in Barcelona, which is you know with they're in a section called Catalonia. Think of the distinction like Catalonia in Spain would be what Quebec is to Canada. Right. French Canadians. There you go. The French Canadians, right. The Catalans are the equivalent to the French Canadian. And these are people that have had an issue with the dominant society and have wanted to gain their sovereignty for a while. There's a whole other backstory behind that, but I'm guessing that we can discuss this at a, at a, at a later date. Right. You know, but... um. And even um, if you go into north, the northeast part of the country, there's people that speak the Bas language. Right. And the Bas language is so ancient that there's no um, that you know there's that you can't even engage in any kind of ethnography behind it because it's a language probably that no that no that predates no, that predates Christ that language. Mm, wow. The Bas people. So it's been around for a while. It's been around for yeah, a minute. So, but I think so. With that, you know, I think with that being said, you know, it go it goes back to, going back. It goes back to the Western Hemisphere. Like so, Hispanic, and it's like, all right, fine. I, it would make sense that people, and particularly in the Caribbean islands, you know, Cuba, um, the Dominican Republic, um, Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico, you know, what I'm saying, would probably claim the distinction to Hispanic, considering that. When Columbus first sailed there, you know, in the 1490s, that, that those were the first places that he landed on his voyages. Right. For, yeah, 1492. We know the whole story. And 1492, 1492 and, when, when, yeah, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right. Yeah, and 1494, where the, the, the Roman Catholic Church blessed them, the papacy, and they, they split the map down the middle. And they said one half of Spain and the other half of Portugal and go out and just doing this new voyage and take as many prisoners and conquer new lands and bring the wealth back to Europe. But either way, well, go ahead, brother. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. Brother, the, brother, the, brother the, teacher. The Spain and the Portuguese, that was the original Pizzagate. Right. You know, if you want to get technical. You know, right. Those that are in the know, then they'll be in the know with the joke. Right. But, you know, but, but um, yeah, so... As opposed to, you know, so the so the definition for Hispanic would be somebody who whose lineage can be because you know because you know can be traced back to the Iberian Peninsula, and I keep saying Iberian Peninsula because even that can be very very dismissive because Portugal and Spain are on the same peninsula, right? But yet, Spain is always seen as the more dominant language. It's like that, man. Of course, their influence is greater here in the Western Hemisphere. It's kind of same hodgepodge like France and Belgium. The same hodgepodge, you know, the same peninsula, the same land, but, you know, two different, you know, two different languages, you know, but France is the more dominant culture. The, naturally. Naturally, like right. Like I said, they colonize more land, so naturally they're going to have more influence. Right. As opposed to Latino. And I think that Latino all goes to um, the etymology of the whole thing, because naturally Latino, the prefix would be Latin, right. and Latin derives from, like I said, you know, it, it stems back to the Romance languages. The Romance languages derive from Vulgar Latin, right? 
you know, and the reason that it's called vulgar Latin is that vulgar Latin is Latin that was spoken outside of um, the Empire of Rome. Right, right. You know, that's that's why it's called vulgar Latin. Vulgar Latin, like I said, bottom line, the same way you would speak Castilian Spanish, it would be like, oh, the home language, anywhere else and stuff like that. You know, they don't speak it the same. It's the same thing with Latin. At least it was back then. And what you were able to get from the vulgar Latin was Romanian, mm. Portuguese, Spanish, French, Italian. Okay. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So, what was interesting behind the whole thing between calling somebody a Latino, oftentimes when you tell somebody about Latin America, because of, because of the Spanish influence, everybody automatically assumes that everybody in Latin America speaks Spanish, which couldn't be further from the truth. Right, because because you look at South America, you have Portuguese, you have I mean, excuse me, uh, oof. Help Brazil. me out. Brazil, brother preach, uh, brother teacher. Thank you. You have Brazil, and that's the largest concentration of black people in the Western Hemisphere due to diaspora and slavery. You also you also have Guyana, you know, which is in South America, which is they classified to be in the Caribbean, but it's but it's actually in South America. It's exactly in the landmass of, of South, South America. America, and you have Suriname. You where, know, they, where, where they speak Dutch. Where they speak Dutch, right. And they have French Guyana. French Guyana, right. Which kind of speaks for itself. They speak French. Right. But yet, when people talk about Latinos, without fail, 90% of the people, when you talk about Latino, they automatically make the distinction that if you're a Latino, that you automatically speak Spanish. Wow. Which is totally dismissive because there's more people in South America that speak Portuguese yes. than, they speak, than they speak any other language. Now, granted, Brazil is the biggest country in South America, so it would make sense right. that you were going to have more people in the landmass to speak Portuguese, kind of like more people was, you know, in China. But, right. but you have to think about Brazil. More slaves landed in Brazil than anywhere else in the Western Hemisphere. That's true. More than the Carolinas, more than Jamaica, more than Trinidad, you know, more, you know, it, it's true. The largest, the largest, the largest mass of black people in the Western Hemisphere are in Brazil. We're talking about 2.5 million. Right. But yet, if you were to ask the average person, how would you classify a Brazilian? Considering that they're the closest thing to African blood in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. Right. And particularly in the province of Bahia. Right. You know what? You'll just look at them as a Brazilian. Right. There will be no questioning whether they're black or not. Right. What, what are you going to tell a Brazilian? That they're not black? <laughs> Probably blacker than you, some of them. Right. <laughs> they're blacker than you. Look at, I mean, but just look at their, their martial arts dance of fighting, the capoeira. The capoeira. That goes, that traces back, way back into the lands of Africa. <laughs> so, Brother Preacher kind of bringing it all home. So, whether you're a Garifuna or whether you're, a, you know, whether you're an Afro-Cuban or from the Dominican Republic or you're Haitian, Ultimately, when it boils down to it, we share the same genealogy. Right. We all got ties to the African diaspora. Right. There's there's no there's no way around that. You know whether whether you from South Carolina, you from Columbia, South Carolina, like my folks are from, or Mary Hill, North Carolina, where they're from, or you from or you from in Honduras. All of our ancestry goes back, and it points back to Africa. It points back to the motherland. We are, we have, that's why they say we're African descent, but we're really African. And we're just Africans on a different 
we're just on a different, uh, I guess, journey. Because some of us was in North America, because Lord knows this has been a journey, brother teacher. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, like if you know, like I said, if you want to make a team, an expedition of sorts, expedition, right? An expedition against our will, but an expedition nonetheless, right? And it's to be you know to be told and stuff like that. You know that well. I mean, anybody that you know, anybody that knows me personally, and you look at my skin complexion. You know, I um I am a no, I am of a dark complexion. Right. If you look at my parents, they are of dark complexion too. Like, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, and to be told or I have or having to validate my blackness right to people. You know, or to make it seem like no, I no, I feel like I have to go through a test to validate my blackness. Right. And that and that really shouldn't be because I would say that we should get past that, the cultural differences. And we should just look at, okay, we're black, the motherland is Africa, and there should be some point of that's, we should have, we should be pan-African, respect each other's culture, respect each other's tradition, but ultimately have a love and affinity for one another as black. Absolutely. You know, and even, and you know what's the, also the sad part too, you have brothers and sisters, even in the, even in the, the mother continent, who still, have this colonial mindset. Absolutely. You have this without colonial a doubt. mindset. Without Be- a, without because a doubt. you've been colonized by the French and you speak French and you went to the French schools or English or whatever language you ascribe to, you know, you have this colonial, you have this colonial, you know, mindset. And we have to get out of this colonial mindset because it's really not it's really not helping us. And we have to really tap into who we are and the and the greatness that God has given to us and tap into our real African heritage and our roots and tap into our spirituality and and tap into the higher power of God, I believe, you know, and and really teach our kids and teach our communities these, you know, these these really important, these really important issues. Because with the maglomaniac we have in charge right now, <laughs> he he really doesn't care. He really doesn't care, you know, uh what what country or 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 what or what ethnic background you come from. <laughs> you know, he, he's on a mission and his baby is unified so it so it just behooves us to, to me brother teacher you know that we just gotta we just gotta get it together we just gotta get together and 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 just learn and build from one another and not tear and, and not tear one another down but just build one another have this healthy dialogue and have a respect and have a respect for just learning about about who we are you know because because so much has been kept from us and so much has been denied from us but then it's like Brothers like yourself, myself, and others that we may know that each one can teach one and ultimately we can reach one. Absolutely. Because knowledge is power. Right. And information is meant to be shared. Right. Like if I know, hey, listen, if if you have information or you're, um, like I said, you know, you're privy to something that I may not be. Yeah, and I'm saying that, you know, I would want to know the information or at least I'm going to be humble enough to ask. Right. You know, like, listen, I might know I'm not aware of said subject. Can you please explain it to me? Right. Right. And 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 I think that this is um, very, very important. Unfortunately, there's um, there's a percentage of people. Right. Of so-called black people that have this cognitive dissonance yeah that have this stockholm syndrome mm. that 
post-traumatic slave disorder. <laughs> PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that they're totally fine with the they, the way things are. Um, that they they remind me very much, um, like Sambo, um, from the famous novel Uncle Tom's, Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. By Harriet Beecher Stowe. Right. I got the unknown to call Uncle Tom. I think that sometimes is such a misnomer because if anything, Uncle Tom was seen as being noble and it was Sambo that was more of a threat. But again, that's another discussion for another day. Yeah, because Uncle Tom is actually the hero <laughs> in, in the book. But yeah, like you said, it's another discussion. But um, through, I mean, it's interesting that unfortunately, so many of our brothers, no, so many of our brothers and sisters that have their cultural roots to the killing fields of the South. Yeah, the killing fields, exactly, yes. So, you know, the Mississippis, the Alabamas, the the Georgias, you know, the Carolinas, Florida, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, let's say, you know, we know about the trials and tribulations of slavery. Yeah. That goes without saying. And Jim Crow, semi-slavery. So, <laughs> you know. And, right. and sometimes I feel like yeah, that the, the Afri- that the African American has every right, every right, to be to be upset over the injustice and the transgressions that were done to them. Right, rightfully so. However, how, however, brother preacher, like for so many, so many of my brothers and sisters. Because they've been stripped of their culture. They've been stripped of everything. They've been stripped of the essence of who they truly are. Culture, their identity, their religion, even their, their minds. Of their minds. Their souls in some respects. Of their humanity. Of humanity, yes. And the, they feel like the one thing that you can hold on to is their blackness. Right. But what's dangerous is... You know what? You kind of you kind of wield it like a weapon, and saying that anybody that doesn't that anybody that hasn't gone through the same experience or doesn't have the same cultural connection that doesn't classify as being black, and no brother preacher, I have to disagree. Right. Because millions of brothers and sisters outside of the killing fields in the south. No, said no. No, were were colonized and were products of imperialism. One of the same as we just spoke about Brazil. Right. What many people don't know is that Brazil was the last country in the Western Hemisphere to legally abolish slavery. Yeah, Brazil. Right. And then you know, and you know also, you know, brother, brother teacher, and if if we want to go further back to 1884 with the Conference of Berlin. Yes. When Europe decided to divvy up Africa and Otto von Bismarck. Otto von Bismarck and divvy up Africa and this is how we're gonna and this is how we're gonna make, you know, to set the colonial rule, imperialistic forces. So whether it was England, whether it was France, whether it was Portugal, Spain, Italy, everybody was at the table because of the resource rich in um landmass of Africa, as well as the greatest resource which was us. Absolutely. And you know, like that famous conference of eighteen eighty four. Led, look, I say, ended up transpiring to one of the greatest genocides 
the casino, one of the greater genocides of the 20th century that nobody speaks about, and that is um, the Congolese genocide mm. that was um, upheld by King Leopold. Jesus, oh, how... Oof. King Leopold II of Belgium. Wow. And oftentimes in the history books, he never gets brought up for being the monster that he is. Yes. And the colonial impact, you no, know, the destructive impact that happened in the Congo and is continuing to take place in the Congo. Right. Because, you know, because of former Belgian influence. Mm. So, yeah. And so I think that these, you know, so that these, these, you know, these conversations are very, very broad, but they're interconnected, right? Because it's like you know, fine, the Belgians conquered the Congolese, the, no, but at the end of the day, they were still Congolese. They didn't classify themselves as Belgians, right? If you're from uh, Cote d'Ivoire, you don't claim no. You're from Cote d'Ivoire. You don't classify yourself as a Frenchman. Right, Cote d'Ivoire is the Ivory Coast. If anyone you know doesn't know that, right? You know, somebody from no, somebody from Algiers doesn't classify as a Frenchman, right? You no, know, matter of fact, like no, Liberia, Liberia was founded by fruit, no, by free slaves. You know, <laughs> from here, from here, right. in the in the 1830s. Yes, you no, know, leave the prefix Liberia, Liberty, Liberia. Right, the capital of Liberia is Monrovia, named after James Monroe. Right. <laughs> wow. That's a that's a deep nugget right there, brother teacher. And what happens when the free slaves went to Liberia? They take on the same traits as their oppressors. That's that Stockholm syndrome. The same exact traits. And they ended up enslaving, demeaning, and belittling, you know, the natives that were already there. Wow. Wow. And and you know, brother teacher, going back to, you know, like you said, King Leopold who's estimated this is estimated that he killed over 15 million Africans in the Congo in the Congo area the Congolese that's just a rough estimate there's many more 15 to 20 million 15 oh sorry 15 to 20 million and I didn't learn about him until I became a full-fledged adult grown man because this was never taught in school you know and and no one really never knew this and and that was just King Leopold never mind our people who was lost in the transatlantic slave trade you know, you know, the countless bodies that didn't even make that didn't even leave the shores of Africa. But that's just documented with King Leopold and how and how heinous he was, you know, chopping off limbs, chopping head, off hands, making chocolate of the hands. A Lin lot, a lot of stuff. Lynchings. Right. You know, so like that, you know, like using skulls for ornaments. Right. You know, very vile, disgusting stuff. And, and this is just the Belgians. We're not even talking about what the British were doing in South Africa. Lord knows. What they were doing in Rhodesia. Right. And this is just in the diaspora that all of this stuff was going on. So you can only imagine what was going on here in the Western Hemisphere. Right. And you had a chance to visit South Africa, you know, several years ago. And, you know, and, and how was that experience? Because I know the, the major tribes are like the the the, the Zulu and... Uh, the, the Akuza, those major tribes and things like that. You know, how was that experience when you went to South Africa a few years ago? That the fact that although apartheid had been legally abolished in South Africa for a little over 30 years now, the remnants of apartheid still exist. Right. 
the white minority still controlled the majority of the resources. Right. Wow. You know, the A and the ANC. No, I mean Mandela's party has been inefficient in taking care of the people's needs. Mm. And there's been a lot of corruption among the AMC. Wow. But, but with that being said, shame on the international community for the overall hypocrisy. Right. Because when apartheid was in full fledged and was in full motion back in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, the international community wasn't was in an uproar. You know, many like I said, many Western companies were divesting from South Africa. Right. Wow. You know, many yet yeah, were divesting from South Africa. Right. And yet, you know, to the you know, to the point that people were up in arms that they wanted to make it a case in the United Nations. Yet when Malcolm X decided to do the same thing in the early to mid sixties that we know that the United States should be brought up on trial for what was being done here. Right. To Human the, rights. To, you know, you know, for the, you know, you know, to, you know, to the African American, it kind of went on deaf ears. Right. right. And so, what makes apartheid any different than Jim Crow? <laughs> it's one of the same. Apartheid supposedly is over in South Africa, but Jim Crow continues to rear ugly head here in the United States. Right. Right. No, what makes Soweto any different in the South Bronx or Compton or North Philly or East Detroit? There's no difference. I know, like I said, I'm going to say something that might be divisive, but I wanted to really give it some thought. What makes George Floyd's death any different than what happened to Steve Biko? Mm, wow. Wow. If they well, and and I want to consider to anybody that's listening, I want that to be homework. If you're not familiar with who Steve Biko is, right? You know, like um, just research Steve Biko, look up what happened to George Floyd, and make you could compare and contrast, and you can probably see what I'm talking about, right? And or even Pat uh, Patrice Lumumba from the Congo. Absolutely, you know what the MI6 and uh, the CIA and the Belgian government did to him, right? Of course, you know, but that's you no, know, that's you no. Know, but with that being said, because I know that we're kind of jumping around. With that being said, it all goes back to the original question, my brother. What class? You no. Know, what classifies blackness? Right. You know, because among my brothers and sisters here, my African American brothers, oh, like you know what? To tell me that I'm not black, but yet you want to scream black power. Not knowing that the man who coined the phrase black power was from Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, his name was Stokely nope. Carmichael, a.k.a. Kwame, Kwame Nkrumah. Ter Kwame, Kwame Ture. Kwame Ture, yeah. From, he was from Trinidad and Tobago, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like the, per the first person to bring knowledge itself here in, in the 20th century was Marcus Garvey. Marcus Messiah Garvey, who was from Jamaica. Who was from Jamaica. Right. Because you had Marcus Gar, you had uh, you had Marcus Garvey, you had W. E. B. Du Bois, and you had uh, Booker, Booker T. Washington. Washington. Those were those contemporaries. Then you know, fifty years later, you had Malcolm and Martin, right? You no, know, like I said, well, like no, like oh, well, wait a minute and stuff like that. It's not the same thing. I'm like, yeah, well, well, why, why not? If you want to be technical with stuff like that, technically, if you want, no, and Malcolm X wouldn't be a true African descendant. He would be to his father's side, but his mother was from, from the Grenada. West Indies. What, from the West Indies also. Right, she was from Grenada. 
Yeah, his mother. Right. And a light-skinned Grenadian at that. His father, Earl Little, was from uh, Savannah, Georgia somewhere. From Georgia. From Georgia, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but, you know, but bottom line is when these names are often brought up, you still view them as black men. Exactly. So why is it a black man who speaks Spanish or any other language who's maybe not the dominant language here of English, why do we have to question them when they're, when they're, when they're ascribing and acknowledging and holding up their blackness and also in solidarity as being black? And my brother, you just hit it right on the nail. Like I said, nobody will question Toussaint Overture whether he was black or not. Right. But he spoke, because they spoke French. The father of the Haitian Revolution. 1804. You know, I mean, Haiti being the oldest country in the Western Hemisphere, that's not the United States of America. Right. The fact that Toussaint Overture, here's the irony behind this whole thing, you know, and this is what I got to tell to the ignorant racist, quote unquote, Latinos or Hispanics or, you know, whatever they want to call themselves. You know, remember, like, um, the two, the two tongue, not necessarily Toussaint Overture, but, um, Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Jean-Jacques Dessalines, yeah. You know, and, you know, and, um, was, and, uh, Alexander, no, and Alexander, uh, was a Patan? Yeah, I believe so. I think, I think the brother's name was, he came, um, the, um, the emperor, or, you know, saying, no, that came after Dessalines. Right. That, um, Alexander Petit, I think his name was. Petit, okay. And that, yeah, that they were, they were very influential to um, a South American general by the name of Simon Bolivar. Yes. Oh, oh, break this story down. Yes. Okay. I know where you're going. Simon Bolivar in Latin America is seen as the George Washington of South America. Yeah. Supposedly, he liberated seven countries. Yes. Supposedly, right. Against Spanish rule. Right. But... It took him about four attempts to do it. And in the second and third time, when the Spanish wanted to bring him back to Spain so they can they can hang him. Right. Because that was, you know, that was the common practice of the day. When you, you know, when you committed a transgression, he wouldn't have said no, he ended up going to Haiti and was given resources and manpower. Because Haiti was the first free nation in the Western Hemisphere for African people. But I digress. Keep teaching, brother teacher. So Simon Bolivar was able to get a lot of resources and a lot of weapons and a lot of log you know, anything logistics. And enough for him to regroup. And then by the time he went by the time he went back, you know, say he was able to get on his feet and was able to do what he felt was just and was able to free, you know, most of South America. But with that being said, that's the part of the story that was never told. Even when I was learning as a kid about history, we always talk about Simon Bolivar being this liberator, but never, never being told the story of how he went to the Haitians, ate, no, oh, the free, no, the free black slaves <laughs> that right, beat the French, that beat the French, <laughs> and who and who systematically <laughs> suffer to this day with embargoes because they looked upon as they couldn't control their slaves. Okay. Bottom line, with Haiti, they made an example out of Haiti. Yeah. So on top of the on top of the French 
taxing the Haitians out the wazoo for supposed destroy crops. You know. <laughs> you know, and Thomas Jefferson. Oh yeah, remember Thomas Jefferson, man, the man that wrote that uh, all men are created equal. Right. You know, but apparently they say no, uh, no, <laughs> one of the biggest slave owners too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and TJ. And, I call him TJ. And like I said, and Jefferson was like, well, we don't want any of our slaves here to get any ideas. No. So the best what we can do is to implore restrictions and punish the Haitian for what they did. Right. Considering that the French helped the Americans get the independence, but all of these things are interconnected. Right. I know I had no, I have a phrase that I like to use. All the pieces matter. Right. And they do. And they're all interconnected. Right. Because all the pieces do matter. So. Mm. Wow. So just know that whether you're from the killing fields of the South or you're from, like I said, or you're Afro-Cuban or, you know, the, you know, the Garifuna, the Haitian, you know, like I said, my black Dominican brothers and sisters. Yes, you guys are black, contrary to what you may think. I don't care what through he taught you. Guys right. are black. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, you know, um, like I said, you know, the Boricua, you know, like I said, uh, like I said, brothers from, from St. Lucia, from Martinique. Right. Um, from Curacao, the Virgin, you know, or, or anywhere else. You need to know that our solidarity is one of the same. Right. And we have to know our history. We have to know our history. We have to know our history far as the overall aspect of, of the diaspora of Africa. We also have to know the history of the country of the colonizer, because that's more that's very important too. Absolutely. Because I made it a I made it a personal business to learn American history and try to learn as much as I can and even learn about the electoral process and all these all these things matter. Like you just said, brother teacher, all these pieces matter. And also learn the history of one another. So like you said, our solidarity and coming together and learning together and building together, maybe, you know, we can go further in that respect. If if we if we're just sitting down willing to take the time to learn. We all got smartphones, we all got smart devices. You know, I often say why have a smartphone but cause but, but but make stupid decisions? <laughs> indeed, bro. indeed, brother preacher. You know, indeed. you have a smartphone, you know, you can you can basically self-educate yourself on many things. You know, we have a references of books and stuff like that. You know, our one of our our one of the upcoming podcasts, we want to talk about books and you know and and um and referencing certain reading materials to get you started on your way to have a deeper understanding and know the things that we're talking about because it takes years of study. You need we need to we need to get into the mindset of study. The scripture says, "Study to show thyself approved." A workman ought to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, and mm. that's and that's pertaining to the word of God, Second Timothy two and fifteen, but also too applicable in our lives. How much do we study? How much do we and take? Intense, serious study. How much study. information are we retaining? How much information are we retaining, and also having intellectual, you know, dialogue with, with one another? Because you know, I believe that some of the the way some of our young people are acting, and we see them, they're crying out for help because they don't really have any real leadership or no one guiding them to teach them anything. A lot of us don't even know about about our own family, uh, yes. our own families. Mm -hmm. You know, like. You know, brother, teacher, like even myself, you know, our blackness and, and my family reunions, you know, we traced it back to the Civil War. 
You know, I traced, you know, mm. we traced it back to the Civil War. And when I take my children to the killing fields of the South, I teach them this is where your grandparents were sharecropping at. This is where your great grandparents were sharecropping at. Don't never let nobody trivialize where we come from. And things haven't always been what they are today because people fought. For you to have the mm. right to to right to go to a GNT program, to be in a specialized program, so there were there were sacrifices, there were sacrifices that made. were made, and there's still sacrifices that have to be made. But we also have to have a mind to study, and we gotta like. One time I went to a family reunion. One of my older cousins, an elder, she said, "A lot of times you don't know what's in your family bloodstream because you don't you don't know your people. You don't get to know your people. You know, if That's you so true. If we if we get to know our even just our family history, you'll know that you suffer from hypertension. You'll suffer from diabetes. Bees. You'll suffer from asthma. At least you at least you'll have the know on how to fight and combat these ailments because mm -hmm. because also in a racist society it also exacerbates these conditions that we." have and it does and it does a shift to our organs but if we just have a knowing our family history you know sitting down i remember back in years ago sitting down with my grandmothers and them teaching me my grandfather's teaching me certain things mm -hmm. you know they, they taught us these they taught us certain values and principles we got to go back to that teaching that even and that goes to tradition back to the to the motherland the ancient griots mm. would sit down the elders would teach and, would teach. and they would they would teach the village so that's what we said as brother preacher and teacher each one teach one so hopefully you can reach we one. You know, we we're not we're not on a mission to save the world. We're not we're not we're, we're not on a mission. We just want to put the information out there that we can have a that we can have a positive and, disc and, and platform that it can that it can just hopefully reach somebody who's listening and who's willing to listen. Who's willing to listen? Who's willing to listen? Because trust me, there's a lot of distractions out here. There's a lot of there's a lot of distractions out here and we can, and we as a people can't get caught up in a petty minutia of just get just falling for the okie doke all the time. Let's get into some serious study. Let's get into some serious some serious study. Read the autobiography of Malcolm X. You know, study that's one book that helped myself and brother and brother teacher. That's the mean that's the book that changed my life. That changed life. You know, our our, our blackness. You know, you know, it, it's a lot of there's a lot of things you can read. Read James Baldwin, The Fire Next, next time. time. You know Or No Name in the Street. Or No Name in the Streets. So there's there's a lot of things that that you can read to to get to help yourself to, to start to think. You know, you know, read, read your scriptures. You know, if you if you're into the scriptures, those who are my people who are who are in the church, read your scriptures. Learn, learn about, learn about these things. Dig, dig deep. Get into some serious study so, and ask questions. Like I said, and the, I cannot emphasize the importance of scholarship. Scholarship. You know, even brother, brother, teacher. Even when it comes, you know. To the church world and you know studying dr james cone the father of black Re liberation religion. theology you know how why did he come up with this theology why did why was this theology formed you know who's a great scholar of mine who passed away um back in 2018 who was a great who a professor emeritus at union theological seminary there's so much that we can learn because trust me brothers and sisters without black history there's no world history mm. can you repeat that without black history there's no world history. There's no world history. There's no American. There's no European. There's no Latin American. There's nothing. Nothing. But nothing. On that note. On that note. It's been real. We appreciate it, you. We love you. It'll be the first of many. It'll be the first of many. But. You want to end it on a prayer? Brother Preacher? Well. I'll say this. Philippians 4 and 13 tells you this. 
Through, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. You will need that strength to go forward. You'll need that strength to carry on. And you'll need that strength and that power of Christ to endure this life. But just, but just believe, brothers and sisters, when you have Christ and what you do for him will last. But just tap into the power of Christ. Ask him to help your mind. Ask him to help your body, your soul, your spirit. And whatever you want to accomplish, you give him the glory. Because, you're, because we are called to be servants, not to be served. God bless you. God we bless love you. you. And we're out.